You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Okay, I think I got this. Yeah, I got it on. Thanks. Uh, actually, the only reason I'm here today is because I wanted to give John a break because it was his wife's birthday. And to get away and actually be able to celebrate with your loved ones and not have to... I don't think you guys understand. Um, I pastored a church for a few years. Um, Lord, help my soul and all those. Um, it's a lot of work, pastoring a small church, by the way. Um, you're, you're in charge of everything. Um, and it's a privilege. You get excited about it. But at the same time, it's also a lot of work. And I don't think you understand how many Sundays there are in a year. Um, until you actually have to come up with a message for each one of them and spend your whole week prepping for them. So I just really appreciate John and all the hard work that him and Karen have put into the church over the years. I've actually watched it from, I remember the high school days were rough. Uh, those were, I don't know how many, there isn't that many of us here from there, but tearing that sucker down and putting that thing up every, every Saturday and Sunday afternoon, and there's a lot of work involved in watching um, them and their dedication and hard work, it's always, uh, yeah, I, don't, I think we um, always underestimate um, how much your pastor actually works in the churches and stuff. So I, I'm really thankful for John and Karen. And John's like, oh God, what does he want now? <laughs> so, yeah. By the way, another reason he always asks me whenever I'm up here, thanks, you got that? Uh, um, whenever I come up to speak, the only reason John, because he, he knows I'm typical of sticking my foot in my mouth a lot and usually both at the same time. So John actually loves this part. He's like, oh, good, let's see what's happened. Because then he doesn't get an email about his own sermon. You know, it's about this other crazy guy that gets up and says something. Um, Yeah, so I think that's the main reason he does it, to be honest. Um, Yeah, this morning was weird. I I actually, a message that came to, I spoke last fall. Believe it or not, that was already before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I was, and I spoke about creational gifts um, a little bit. And I felt like I never finish the whole thought train. Um, that, that one's a really complicated um, subject to wrap your head around sometimes and, and make it practical. I, I'm a, a person that doesn't like to speak unless I give something that you can do. It, it's, and, and don't get me wrong, John does that too. It's, I, I always find it's a very um, simple everyday life things John gives us, uh, what he picks out to give you for what you can do tomorrow and stuff. I might give you a bit more of a broader, like, um, let's challenge you for the rest of your life kind of thing, um, which isn't always tangible, but it is um, important. I almost changed my sermon like 20 seconds ago because God had been speaking on something else, faith and finances with me for quite a while. And then, of course, I heard Annie and I was like, dang it. Oh, no, not going to do it because I need to concentrate on this one for now. Um, Yeah, John understands. He's like, you know how many times I want to change my sermon while I'm sitting there waiting? Um, yeah, but I really wanted to, last time I spoke, I talked about creational gifts and how you were created by God and with a unique individual gift. And we've been talking quite a bit on, 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 um, that's Tuesday night, I guess, Bible studies about, uh, spiritual gifts and, and creational gifts are a spiritual gift. It's just a different way of looking at it. Okay. It's how you were created, what God gave you to actually survive on this earth. And I always use the examples of Jesus being a carpenter and Paul, tent maker, and Peter, and 
fishermen, you know, and how they were able to influence communities and people around them with their skill sets. Um, but now I kind of want to talk to you a little bit more about that, but in a really practical everyday life scenarios, okay? Um, so many of us as believers, and this, this is, it sometimes gets really hard because I don't want you to take it the wrong way. Here comes my foot in my mouth usually. Um, the real question I have with this today is, are you a Christian atheist? Some of you don't understand how that could correlate, how that could be in the same sentence. Um, a few years ago, I was teaching in a Bible college for a few years, um, and I was challenged, oh man, if you ever want to get your faith rattled, just get a whole bunch of like 20-year-olds into a room and tear apart your theology. It's awesome, okay? <laughs> it's just, yeah, and then you realize, wait, I don't have a clue what I'm talking about, and i got to go back and study. So, um, but I had to read a book. I, I had to read a lot of books when I was there because, number one, I always feel inadequate when you're, when you're teaching. Uh, it's not my main gifting. I, I'm not, uh, uh, if you want to talk about spiritual gifts, that is definitely not one of mine. I, I'm very much an apostolic gifted person. So I teach once in a while um, and share, but it's not my main gifting. So I had to read a lot. And there was a book called The Christian Atheist. And that one piqued my interest. And I read it, and some of the ideas kept on going through my head over the years now. Um, I remember hanging out with a bunch of people in these, these Bible colleges, kids, mostly. And they all were amazing people, by the way, all of them. Um, they really struggled with their faith, living it out. They had become so disillusioned with the church. And I, I could never quite understand why. Because to me, church means family. It doesn't mean um, what the teacher, preacher, whatever. Because guess what? We're all humans. We all make mistakes. We all say stupid things. We all do stupid stuff. And we're all broken, and we all struggle. So to me, when I hear that with people having issues with the church, it just, I don't know, I think it's an excuse anyways. Um, it's a family. We have our problems. We stick together. We pray for each other. We walk life out together. But they couldn't do that. They, they, there was so much hurt and stuff in their lives. I couldn't figure out why, what, what it was. And really, once I taught for a couple of years, same answers kept coming up, same questions I'd ask, same answers. And most of it was always that what we say, we don't do. The hypocrisy of, of Christianity. And I was just as much at fault as everybody else. I said one thing and done another, right? Um, matter of fact, I was just talking about that parable the other day about uh, when Jesus was talking about the, um, the father asking the boys to go to the field. And one says, yes, I'll go and doesn't go. And the other one says, no, I won't go and then ends up going. Um, I don't know what the moral of the story is actually at the end of the day. Is it was both, they both lied? Or was it one did what the father asked and one didn't? Anyways, um, <laughs> that kind of stuff really stuck with me. And I really tried to figure out why. Why it is that they felt this way. And then I started realizing in my own life what it was and how it was I was supposed to walk out my faith. And I think that's what it boiled down to. They were watching a church walk out something that they weren't, people were pretending to be or faking it. Not because they, and I, I don't want to bash anybody here because it's not, I don't, I think they just felt like that's what they were supposed to do. I don't think it was what God was saying and they were being disobedient. I think it's just this misconception that we have all the time as believers. Like number one, we're all here to save the whole world. Are you kidding me? Jonas, Jesus didn't do it? 
Okay, so how am I supposed to? Um, there's those kind of things. that I, don't, I think we get this misconception that I'm here to change the whole world. Now, guess what? A few people have made some pretty significant impacts on the world, a.k.a. Jesus. Um, but that doesn't mean that what I do on a day-to-day basis is any less relevant for the kingdom. Why? Because if you're obedient to what he's asked you to do, that's it. That's all. That's all you got to do is walk that little section out. You don't have to be anything more than God asked you to be. We put so much weight on our shoulders. And because of that, people look at us and realize, and we fall short because we can't carry the load because we're carrying a load that was never asked of us. And people look at us and go, oh, look at these Christians. Oh, you know, they're hypocrites. They, do, they say this, but they do that. Well, of course, because I'm doing it under my own strength, not under God's. And so many of these kids have really challenged me over the years in the college and stuff. And, and I had to really take a, a, a look at my own life and figure out, what has God called me to do? And how do I walk that out? And I think we have made it so complicated that we've missed the whole point of, of our faith and our walk. Um, and, and I really love how, even with the disciples, there wasn't a whole lot of direction. If you hadn't noticed when Jesus left, there was just like these little words he said, to, not even to each one of them. And then he just was gone and you're like, uh, what do we do now? They just hung out together, by the way. They started hanging out, praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide them. Um, Pretty simple, by the way. Um, So today I'm going to, actually I'm going to use scripture just because of John. You know, he likes this Bible thing. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, he's really getting it. Um, So Matthew 5, 14 and 16. And that's why I almost changed my whole thing with Annie's speaking. I was like, dang it, Matthew 6, yeah. Um, Okay, Matthew 5. By the way, this, this is one of the parables. Um, is this the salt and light, I think it's called? I always forget. We put titles in, in there, and we, I'm not even sure where we get them from sometimes. Um, so this parable, uh, it's kind of the big section in there where there's a bunch of parables written. And by the way, um, that's kind of my teaching style too, by the way. Um, I'm not used to teaching... I don't go through the scripture and tear it apart a lot, even though I do it myself. I like I dissect it. You, you would not want to actually study the Bible with me. I, I tear it apart. Um, <laughs> it's very analytical. Um, I'm much of a storyteller. Uh, a lot of the cultures I work with, uh, well, the one I work with the most, they, they don't have a Bible. And so I've had to learn how to rewrite parables. Yeah. Guess what? Jesus told stories. Guess where those stories came from? Old Testament stories that he rechanged that the endings always changed. That's how he taught. He showed that God had come. You know, so he just, you got to be careful, of course, when you reread him. But anyways, um, yeah, I've had to teach a lot in stories. And so Jesus teaches us, and I think stories are important. I think they're good for us to learn because we learn from each other then. And whether or not the stories are even real, like, you know, whether Jesus or not was actually quoting real ones, which he was quoting the Old Testament. Um, it's irrelevant. I think it's important that we understand uh, that Jesus' stories were important because he wanted to get a point across to the culture. Okay? And for us, it's going to be a, it's a little harder because the culture isn't the same anymore, by the way. And we're not Jewish, just in case you guys were wondering. <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, we, we don't blend in in a Jewish culture, trust me. Um, 
So a lot of the words he says, we don't quite understand. So you have to really dig into it sometimes to really understand. And that's, that's something, by the way, it takes a long time. But I think the funny thing is the gospel is cross-cultural. I, and I, sometime I'll, I, I want to do it and teach it. But like, for instance, if I ever teach you on the parable of um, the prodigal son, I've never been to a culture yet that interprets the prodigal son the same way we do. Every culture, God speaks differently. Because of life experiences in those cultures, the gospel has something different to it. And they take a, a different point out of it. And it's not right or wrong. It's just the different, what God's emphasized to their cultures. So it's a really interesting um, point on that. So when you look at it, you kind of have to dig it apart. And it's similar to this one. So Matthew 5, 14, 16. And I think this is the ESV I took this out of. Um, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, or on a st- but on a stand that it gives light to, uh, to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, I, think, I think the NIV has a little bit different as far as basket, and I think same with King James. I think they use uh, bowl. The original text actually says measure. And it took me a while to figure out what that one meant. I had to dig into it. it, it basically, they, they have a... It's kind of like a cup or a jar thing that they use for measuring either flour or wine. And so that's kind of what the reference was. Um, you don't hide it underneath there. Now, in our culture, we just don't understand what that means, really. Now, light is something that it's thrown around in the Bible a lot. I don't know if you've ever really thought about it. I've never done a study. And after doing this, I was like thinking, I've got to actually go and look how many references there are to the word light in the Bible. And us being light. Because it is huge. Like you, you come across it all over the place. And, and not just references to, to God, to Jesus, to others, and us. It, it's throughout the Bible um, being a light. When you guys think of light, what do you think of? Welcome to our culture, by the way. Seeing stuff? Ah, that's pretty good. Light. Illumination. There we go. Illumination. There technical term I didn't even know I knew. Um, <laughs> light, um, light bulbs, light switches, okay? Um, you know, it's just simple things like that, right? You just think about something giving off light. Has anybody lived in a place where there is no light? It's a weird experience, okay? So I spent four years working in a mission field in the Arctic, working with nomadic people groups um, that never stopped moving. And so for about six months of the year, a little bit more, it's in 24-hour darkness, okay? And you don't get any sunlight. Um, it's not as rough as you think. It's kind of funny because uh, the moon, by the way, uh, when you're that far north, or, and I've never done the South Pole yet. I've got to try that one, um, except there's only a research station there, so I don't know who I'm supposed to minister to. Um, <laughs> anyways, apparently there are Christians there. I've heard tell story of house churches working there. So anyways, that's just something I've heard of. Um, the, the, you're so close to the, the moon up there because the Earth's axis changes. The moon rises and sets three times a day. And it's really freaky the first year you're doing it. You're like, what the? Am I losing my mind? Like, where's, where's this thing coming? Um, and it gives off this. It's amazing because it's all white. And it gives off so much light always. It's so bright. And, um, yeah, it's a really interesting place. And then, of course, the northern lights up there are blinding. Um, it's just green all the time. So it was still, even though in your darkness, there's still light. Um, 
there was one time I moved into a, a village in a, in a very remote place in the mountains. And um, it was so high, the mountains block out the skyline. You can only see like what's directly above you always. And so it's, you don't get much at all for stars, maybe one or two. And um, there's no electricity in the villages. And so if you ever see anybody walking, they all had old kerosene lamps and stuff. They'd walk at night down the roads and stuff. Well, <laughs> I got dropped off one time in a, in a I was visiting a friend and we were, we were doing this, a meeting and he's like, oh, you know your way back, don't you? I'm like, yeah, 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 no problem. No, 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 like no flashlight, no nothing. I'm like, how hard can this be, right? It's not that dark. I mean, oh Lord, here comes the idiot stories, right? So I'm walking down this road and I'm like, this is really dark. Like, I don't think I've ever been in this much darkness before. This is like cave darkness kind of episode. And you're walking around feeling stuff. And I can hear the river. And I know i got to turn at the river to go home and blah, blah, blah. And I start following this river. And then I've kind of followed this wall. Because I kind of know some of the paths in this village and stuff. But I'd never done it at night. So it's kind of like, whatever. And kind of walking through. And all of a sudden, I saw this kind of like green light. I don't know why. People always love green lights inside different parts of the country. Colored light bulbs are like a thing still. Um... So I'm coming walking up and I see this and I'm like, I don't know, I can't remember if I have one of those in my front yard or not. I think so. I think this path dead ends in there. So I just kind of walk in, I go through the door, and by the way, every door is like the same in these places. So you kind of like, and I walk in, I'm standing in the middle of a living room and this complete stranger family standing in front of me. I'm like, hi! (laughs) And they're all like, white guy kind of thing. And it was kind of funny because one of the kids I knew and they're like, took me home. Um, They had to guide me home through the darkness, and I had a laugh because in the light, there's no light. There's no light in this darkness. And without somebody to guide you through it sometimes, it's really, really difficult. Now, when Jesus talked about light, I'm going to do a demonstration. (laughs) This always ends up with a fire. Um, Done it once. That's why I had to check with John about his insurance. Um, So, when in their cultures... I have pictures of it. It's brutal. I think I lost half my eyesight teaching inside uh, these cultures. Is studying by candlelight at night, trying to study the Bible. You know, the, I have nothing but utmost respect for all the monks who translated the Bible, who actually copied it. Because they did it at night after they'd done all their work, and they'd done it by candlelight. You have no idea how hard it is to study by this flickering thing, and, you know, it's horrible. And uh, I can't even imagine. Um, but it, it's really hard on your eyes, always. But when you live in total darkness, when everything around you is this complete darkness, light is the most amazing thing to have. It, it just gives you security. It gives you this hope. I don't know what it is. It's a weird thing. And, it's, and when you're in the light shining around you, it's like, I can do this still. Okay, so the one problem is, though, you, you're, you're fortunate to have it. Like we said, we talk about the gospel and we talk about the light as in Jesus Christ is what we know and um, having him with us and in us. Um, we have that light. Those who don't know him are in that darkness. There is no hope. There is no light. There's nothing for them to get that. So, us as believers have one of the most amazing gifts. And again, I have questioned God more times than I would ever care to admit in public on why he left the only plan, the only plan 
for this entire creation, for his grand idea of how this is going to work, he goes, okay, I'm going to create you. Okay, that's great. We screw up. He goes, okay, don't worry. I still love you guys more than you guys could ever imagine. So I'm going to forgive you. But in order to forgive you, uh, there's got to be some sort of consequence, some sort of offering, some sort of sin offering. And there's only one that's willing to do it that, and is able to take it. By the way, the one willing to do it. The one that chose to give his life, by the way. Christ came and did that. That plan is amazing. But then what does he do? He goes, all right, I can't reach everybody. My time's limited. I gave you all the equipping tools. Go. You do it. You be the light to the world. You take what I've given you with the Holy Spirit in us and go off and shine to everywhere we can. That's a pretty daunting task when I look at God going, oh, you light, especially when I look in the mirror and I said, do you let me do this? I was like, really? Are you sure? Um, yeah, I'm not sure how well that's going to go over. Um, so I have an option. I have, this is the great part about all the gospel. You get a choice. You either do it or you don't. There's no gray area. There's no in between. I can do it a little bit. Nope. Either do it or you don't. There's no in between. Sold out or not at all. It's what he called lukewarm and why he spit out. You either are in it all the way or you're not. Okay? Problem is, it can be feel really, really daunting, right? It's really like, oh, good Lord, you want me to do all this, Lord? You want me to be this light for this world, this nation? I think we put way too much weight on ourselves again, right? So he says, would you put this underneath a basket or a measure, or are you going to put it on a light stand so people can see you? Well, the first thing is, of course, when you take a cup and you put it over top, by the way, it took me a long time to find a cup and a candle that fit like that. By the way, <laughs> I was in the store. Everybody in the aisle was looking at me going, what is he doing? I was like, never mind. Um, I was like, yeah, I kind of was wondering. I was just like in all the security cameras, I'm sure, are turning on them. It's like, all right, what's the idiot doing now? It's all good. It's all good. I'm just checking. Um, <laughs> if you're to let the light shine before others, what happens? Anybody ever experienced when you just walk out your life? Do you know when the Holy Spirit's in you? You have to actually fight it to quit showing God. Do you know that? Do you know it's kind of funny because people will say there's something different about you? Well, I know a lot of Christians, so yeah. Um, like, uh, there is. There's something different about us. There's also another problem with the light, by the way, and this, this is something I, I this just dawned on me the other day. I was reading a National Geographic. By the way, I don't like to read news because, anyways, I think, I think, the, I think the church has forgot we're the church and that we have more authority and power over this stuff, and I think we need to actually step up to the plate and actually solve the world's problems. Yeah, instead of being part of them. Um, anyways. National Geographic is one of the few ones I actually read because it has nothing really of great interest or stories that cause any problems. Um, they was talking about light pollution. It was an interesting thing. And I was just prepping these notes and I was thinking about this going, that is an interesting concept. Light pollution. I wonder if you can ever get a spot in Christianity where you have too much light. 
And I, I don't think so. I think it's actually a great thing um, if you had that. But it was, we were talking about, then I thought about it and said, how much false light is out there? When I talk about light pollution, no wonder people are turning away sometimes because there's a lot of light out there that isn't actually God. Now, whether that's our own ideas of light, like distractions, you know, entertainment issues and, and all this stuff that distracts us. Not that it's always bad, by the way. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but it can pollute. It can change people's ideas and concepts. I was looking at Las Vegas. That's because I had a laugh because it's like the lights from Las Vegas can be seen 43 miles from the actual edge of Las Vegas. The pollution is still there. So it looks like daylight still, 43 miles away from Vegas at night. 43 miles. That's, a lo- that's all the way into Arizona from Vegas. Like I'm like, what the world? And I think about all the junk out there in the media given off by Christians as well, by the way. And, and some of it we just do because we're good meaning. We want to help. And we just, like me, stick my foot in my mouth. Um, and we give off the wrong kind of light. So we have to be careful with that. And then I, fortunately, when I was very new to this whole belief system, um, God really spoke to me with certain verses. I still have them in my Bible. It's really strange. I don't know why, but it was like 10 or 12 verses. And memorized them. I mean, no one even talked to me about, the, by the way, uh, yeah, that's yeah, not the way, how to, yeah. I, when I was saved, I, actually, some missionaries had shared the gospel with me, and then they told me not to go to church because the church was so messed up that it would actually do me more harm than good. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a good statement or a bad. I came out okay on the other end, I think. Um, but what happened is I ended up spending all my time in the Bible. I mean, I read it from front to back. By the way, never do this to anybody. Because when you're a brand new believer and have no idea about Christianity, by the time you get into past numbers, into Deuteronomy, there's a lot of law starts coming up, and you can really go the wrong way pretty quickly. Thankfully, I was a quick reader and got in the New Testament quick enough to figure out what was going on. Um, but there's a verse in there that stuck out to me, and it's in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. And it says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and that you will not be dependent on anyone. I don't know, but that verse stuck to me and has always stuck to me. It also goes back to that same verse in Matthew 5 when he says, so that they may see the good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Sometimes... I think the biggest problem in everything I ever had heard at Bible college teaching these young kids was it was all about words. Christians had said this and hadn't done this. Sometimes I think I just need to shut my mouth and do it instead of talking about it. I can't tell you how many people have asked me about why I did this or did that. Now, there's also another verse in the Bible later on, and it says this, to give Oh, good Lord, I'm going to mess this one up. See, this is why you should always write down the verses. Um, when you're asked about your good works or what you have done, you'll have a testimony, something like that, very roughly translated. By the way, it was like I didn't go slam them with the gospel first. They came to me and asked, why did you do that? What's the hope you have, I think it is? Why are you different than us? 
When you're at work tomorrow and your attitude is different than everybody else around you and somebody asks, why? What do you say? What do you do? Do you think people don't notice, by the way, that you do things differently? Oh, they notice. Trust me, it's, it's, it's incredible when uh, people come up to you and ask you. I don't ever remember once professing my faith in a, in a, in a group of climbers I work with my whole life. I don't ever remember once saying it. But yet I've been asked to do all their weddings. How did you even know what I, you know? How do you know? Why is it different? What is it about me that's different? And why is that light shining? Bill Hybels wrote a book. It's called Walk Across the Room. And, and of course, I, I don't have it. So I, I'm, I'm kind of quoting it. I've read it several times and used it. But of course, I don't have it before me. He talked about new believers in it. And he just had his graph in there. And it talks about new believers. So as a new believer, when you come into the church, and as you, as you accept Christ and you start your walk, they say about 100% of your friends, which I don't care how many that is, three, four, whatever, five, six, 20, you know how girls are. Uh, so... <laughs> are non-believers, right? Well, the ES is graphed, and it showed they did, a, they did a survey in their church, and it, and it went by every year. By year five, they had no non-believing friends. They had pulled out of society completely and were only inside of the church. It's not a bad thing. Like, like we look at it and say, well, that's good because your priority is with your family. Well, who's your light shining to? There's got to be a balance you have to be able to still work in an environment and be a part of a non-Christian world. Why? Because that is what God's plan was. In order for us to get the gospel for the world, that means we have to do something. We have to be out there. We can't just hide inside the churches. And by the way, any church that focuses inwards and on their own growth dies. It is an amazing phenomenon. It's because that's not God's plan at all. It was to go out, to extend yourself like he extended himself by sending Jesus. And then extending himself again by sending the Holy Spirit. Um, so when you look at that, it's, we must continue to go out and share. So that is one of those things that we don't, we wrestle with, right? I got to be a part of the church. I need Christian friends and I need to support network. It's true. Can't do it on your own. That's another part of the whole gospel, that, that, the whole church thing. You cannot do this on your own. Um, there are rare cases where because there is nobody there, God has done it. But that's not his plan. It's, it's the emergency tactic he uses. And I, I've seen it over the years, and I've been just stunned by how those people have kept their faith. Um, and now I look at it here, and I go, yeah, we need the church. We need to be part of the body. But then outside of this church, which, by the way, is outside of our group, not the building, outside of the group, who are you a light to? How are you shining it? What are you doing with it? Are you slamming it down people's faces, by the way? I love the gospel with the, the door. You know, it's just like, sometimes we were, and this is what a lot of the kids were always telling me, was that the word evangelism. How many people just got to cringe when I said that? Yeah, see, yeah, there, thank you. See, she's like, yes, I hate that word. Don't laugh. I, I actually had to teach a college, Bible college class called Redeeming the E-Word. Because so many people, I couldn't even get them to even sit still and the word evangelism. Apologetics. Okay, even that one gets me going like, no, that doesn't work, it's bad. But it's all about, what is about sharing our faith? 
Why are we nervous about it? Well, a lot of those tactics and stuff were never originally the plan. They weren't right. Some of them do have flaws. Now, I agree. We do have to be able to give account to why I have hope. I got to tell them about Jesus and what he's done. It is a great opportunity, by the way, and I shouldn't ever keep my mouth shut about it when people ask me. Shouldn't be afraid of it. Why should I be afraid of telling them why I'm so excited to be here? It is a great thing. Um, North America, by the way, is the worst for me in this because I've never been to a culture that doesn't like or is afraid to talk about politics and religion. Okay, usually the first thing is you're growing up, that's the first thing you're always taught. I don't even know who tells us this stuff, right? Don't talk about politics and religion. Um, every time I go to another place, first thing they tell me is uh, they want to know about how, what I believe as a Christian. I get drilled for hours and hours and have to explain the Bible and explain Christ. And they're like so into it and stuff. And I ask them about their faith and stuff. There's never an argument, by the way. They, they're interested. They want to understand. They want to, I don't have to defend it. I don't have to argue with them about God. I just have to explain what I see and what God has shown me and how I believe the Bible. That's it. Politics, they love the same thing. They love to under, try to understand. They just think about it. They're like, why does this person think like this? Why do you guys do this? Why do you believe that? They're inquisitive. By the way, I've never had an argument about it. I can't say the same thing here. I can't. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've diffused situations this in the last week over politics going, okay, we don't need to talk about this. All right? Um, God is bigger. Let's quit worrying about this whole politics thing and deal with our hometown. What about the person that's next to me at work that is hurting? Their parents are sick. They don't have enough food. What am I supposed to do about it? By the way, we pray about it, but we don't think we ever understand that we're the answer for it. Okay? So, I'm almost done. <laughs> Story time. So, to get an understanding of this, again, I have to tell stories because I don't think we all, under, we all look and think differently. Um, this happened a few years back. Almost four now. I guess he's almost four. Uh, you guys, not... Well, Kay's not here. Kay's met my youngest son. I don't, did you guys meet Udaya when... You guys come up and visit that time? At Easter, yeah. So I, yeah, my youngest son is, is uh, almost four now. Um, most of you have never met him. He's with his grandparents in Nepal right now. Um, which is, yeah, and it's kind of a crazy. I got an email four years ago. Um, it's almost four years ago now. Um, I got an email about, a, I work with all, I was working, I was planting a church. By the way, this is nuts. I never plant a church with, there was 29 languages spoken in the community. In my church, there was 27 languages. I speak eight, but only out of those eight, there was only three that were spoken in the community. Try doing a sermon. I mean, there was a lot of puppets. There was everything, man. I mean, I had everything involved. Like, I was like, how do I get this across? Anyways, um, so in the community, I got no one that, that I was there that helped because I, I don't know why. People just thought, I got an email. Um, from a girl who worked with a refugee thing uh, organization, and she said, hey, uh, there's this woman who just gave birth, and um, I couldn't get the whole story. It was kind of complicated, um, and, and she had cancer, and she's new here, and there's a baby, and there's another boy, and the dad's on his own, and there's no support network, no family, anything. Can you help? Do you know anything what we can do? And I'm sitting there going, and this is the middle of the afternoon. I got an email. Shirley was at home. She had just finished 
I mean, she had finished her first cancer treatments. I think she was like a month or two finished her first rounds. And so she was healthy, bored, you know, at home. And uh, yeah, trying to get better, healthy and bored. That was my wife always. Um, uh, and she was like, hey, I, I, told, I text her. I said, hey, read this email. And she's like, hey, I'm going to go visit her. She probably needs some prayer. And, and she did. So she goes up to the hospital and goes to pray for this lady. And um, uh, the story was is what happened was this girl was pregnant and um, had a horrible pregnancy. You know, as, as, as women are sitting there going, ugh, yeah, because, you know, it's not fun. And it was bad. And then they thought it was just a bad, you know, pregnancy and everything. And, and so they went to go to a early. They left him until he was, uh, he was seven weeks premature. So they left him until it was a good time, and they took him. And when the surgeon opened him up, I actually knew the surgeon. I talked to him later, and he said it was the hardest thing in my life, he said. He said, when I opened her up, I found out it, the whole body was full of cancer, and there was just no hope. And he said, I had to take the baby, who was healthy and fine, and then I had to close her up and say, good luck kind of thing. He said, he said it was the hardest surgery of his whole life. And I felt so bad for him. I actually spent a lot of time talking to him and doing counseling with him about that one. Um, but she was like, started chemo immediately. She has a three-year-old and a brand new baby, seven weeks premature, and a dad who works and has no family. Okay, so, <laughs> and everybody who knew Shirley will understand this next statement. So she texts back and tells me this whole story, and I, and I just, I read it, and I'm looking at it going, I text back, eat bring back a baby. And, she's, and she texts back, and she goes, is that a yes? I can. I'm like, I'm like, and I text back, do I even have a say usually? Um, so, so long story short is within, that was on a Thursday, Friday she went and uh, they, she, this mom tried to keep the baby at the hospital room because she wanted her baby, right? And um, she uh, said, no, this isn't going to work. She couldn't sleep. She couldn't get better. And the baby, of course, just wanted to be fed and held, and, and it was really hard for her to hold because she had so much pain and stuff. And um, so Shirley went on Friday, and they said, they asked us, because they had asked their whole community and everything, and they said, nope, we can't do this. And, and Shirley's like, well, my husband said, yeah. And so I went to the hospital on Friday afternoon after 24 hours of this, and um, sure enough, here's this baby. And as soon as I held him, I was like, all right, God, let's do this thing. You know, this is what you want. Let's do it, Okay. Took him home, and right before we got home, this is hilarious. My daughter would love, she's just like, well, my parents never tell me anything. Literally don't, okay? <laughs> Next door neighbor across the street had just had a baby, and so she brought a crib and everything home. And she goes, here, are you so excited and stuff? Bria opened up the door and goes, what are you talking about? Oh. I was like, oops, I forgot to tell you that, uh, yeah, there's going to be another one in the family for a while. Um, and our original intent with, with Udaya, we, we took him home. And it was so that she could get healthy, that we could, we could make sure that she had a support network and that she could actually raise uh, her child later. And, and Shirley would take uh, Udaya to the hospital every day and go see his mom and, and just hang out and do this. And it was months after months and months. She never left the hospital for seven months. Um, I couldn't even, oh, I, after I've been in hospitals long enough. Um, yeah. But she said this, she goes, at the end of it, they were like, we want you to keep him because you guys have been the best parents to him. And we're like, no, no, our whole goal is to reintroduce him to your family so that we're here to support you in whatever we do. Um, one, she, she ended up passing away. And um, 
I had to do a funeral. Here comes the fun part. I got asked to do a Hindu funeral. They're not Christians. They're Hindu. I got asked to do a Hindu funeral. Okay? <laughs> every pastor in town, well, first I should back up one second here quick. Uh, every pastor I knew had told us we were stupid and that we should not take this child. I asked why, and they all had told me, Shirley was still not healthy. She had to get healthy first. You shouldn't be giving away energy and time because she's going to get sick again if you do this. You know, you guys, what about your kids? You know, are they going to be able to handle this? Justin, you're already working three ministry jobs. How can you handle another child and doing this? And I looked at them all, and I said, but what would Jesus have done in this situation? It's the most cheesy thing I think I've ever said because, you know, the whole, what would Jesus do? I said it. And I thought about it, and I go, reality is, it is what he would do. He asked us to be a light. I, this is probably the comical, surely laughed about this story forever. Went to this funeral. I had to do a Hindu funeral. All the pastors are upset with me because I'm going to do a Hindu funeral. And an old missionary friend from India emailed me and said, a funeral is a celebration of life. That's it. There's no spiritual connotation unless you make it that way. And I was like, thank you. I'm going to need this one, buddy. So I had to do a funeral. Then, unfortunately, with Hindus, there's not one funeral, by the way. I, I learned this the hard way. I mean, after about 13 of these stupid events, I was just getting to the point. I'm like, okay, we just got to let bygones be good. We got we to gotta sometime let this rest so that you can get over the grieving. But anyways, he came in, um, and he asked me to go to another c- celebration. I don't even know which one it was. I walked into this group. It was all Hindus. And they walked in, and they say, you're the angel. Of course, first thing Shirley did is start laughing. Him? Yeah, you know? And I go, what? And they go, none of us, and even in our own culture, would have taken him in. Why did you? I don't know how many times I got to share the gospel in a community that I had never had access to before. And all this was because I said yes to something. Sometimes being the light, is this saying yes when something presents itself in your community? By the way, it's in your community. It's not always everywhere else. It's right next door to you. And that is the most important part about this story was it was just right there. All I had to do is say yes. By the way, there was Christian nurses inside the um, prenatal care that had phoned me. And none of them had prayed about it. And they were all stunned that we would have taken them after all this. Um, he's been the biggest blessing of our life. And he came down on Easter uh, just shortly before Shirley had passed away. So he's lost two moms in his life. But the kid is the most joyed kid. Every time he shows up, you just can't help but laugh and smile. And yeah, not long ago, I was asked if I would take him again. If the parents said they just cannot, the father said, I cannot do this on my own. And so I said, yeah, heck sure, why not? And everybody, of course, was, you no longer have your wife you got two kids, you're kind of a roaming nomad everywhere, preaching to God. And I'm like, yeah, but there's the opportunity what Christ would have done. And sometimes, yeah, it, it's not easy. It's difficult. There's difficult times in there, but man, it's worth the joy. And that's just one instance. And that's not to give me credit, by the way. That's to give you guys fuel for the fire to say that you can do it. That tomorrow when you go to work and you're next to people, What kind of light are you going to be? So part of the whole thing here is when Jesus talked about putting the candle underneath the bowl, it's because once you put it out of there, it goes out. 
The darkness closes in and it crushes it. It slowly destroys you if you hide it. That was the whole point. If you don't let it shine and be out there for others, it's gone. It's just going to slowly dissolve. It doesn't take long either. You can watch it in people's lives. So if I can encourage you to do anything, don't be afraid to shine. Don't be afraid when you're out in your workplace, even though your workplace might not even allow you to say that I'm a believer, it doesn't stop you when somebody asks you, hey, why do you do this? To give an answer. Your next-door neighbor that's hurting. You know your next-door neighbor's name. These are just simple things that none of us uh, need to like hide from. And I just really want to encourage you, and I'm going to quit now because I'm already over as usual. Um, I learned from John. Um, I took my preaching. Sorry. It's one of those preaching habits I learned. Sorry. Um, I just really encourage you that you guys are the light of the world. It doesn't mean you have to reach the whole world. It's your next door neighbor. It's your person in your workplace. Let your light shine. Let people see you're different. And then just walk it out. You know? Don't be afraid. Say yes. Oh, Lord. I, I, uh, sometimes I just, yeah, don't say. I should say no more often than I should, but I just can't help but say yes now. Because I always watch God's miracles and say, hey, why not? Let's try this one. Let's see what he does. Okay? It's a fun, ex- by the way, God has you. It's a safety net. He's not going to let you do this. He's not going to present that without having you already covered and knowing you're equipped. And if you're not equipped, he's going to equip you along the way. He's great with this, so don't be afraid of it. Um, Just be yourself. Let your light shine. And then just step up to the plate when it comes. All right? If you need help with it, if you get scared, ask the rest of the church. That's what we're here for, to help you and to pray with you and encourage you on it. All right, let me pray. So, Lord, I just want to I want to lift up everybody in here, for they are the light of the world. Every one of them here has a light to shine in their community, in their workplace, in their schools, in their homes. Um, Lord, I just see this amazing group of people as a blessing to Gunnison. And from here, it flows out into the rest of Colorado. So, Father, let them all shine this week. Give them the courage that when people ask why they're different, that they can tell them that they can point them towards you. Lord, we thank you so much for your, um, yeah, your grace with us when we do fail and fall on our faces that you're willing to pick us up and do it again. So Lord, I thank you for this. But Father, I want to challenge you too, Lord. Give us opportunities this week. Open up the door that people will come and ask us why we have hope and what's different. So Father, I pray now for everyone in here that they will have an opportunity this week to present their hope and why they do have hope in you. Thank you, Lord, for this place and these people. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) See, I didn't even burn it down. We have the fire extinguishers ready. Isn't that awesome? So good. That's just exactly right. That's why you guys can stand up. We're going to be dismissed. That's why, you know, we've always had this. All these years, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison base in the world. And then I always say, go out and be the church. And that's all it is. Just what he just said. That's all it is. All right. So let's do it. On the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. And we'll be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Go out and be the church.
you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.